Well, um, if you've been at St Aidan's for a little while, uh, you know that sometimes, uh, maybe too often, I mention a study tour that Nicole and I went on back in 2013, uh, where we got to visit a whole lot of biblical sites. Um, in uh, We went to Jordan and Israel and Turkey. Uh, it was a wonderful trip. And uh, as I've been thinking about what we're um, looking at here in the book of Acts, uh, it reminded me uh, this week of an artefact that we saw in the Archaeological Museum in Istanbul. And I thought I'd, I'll try and share my screen with you so you can see a photo. Um, hopefully, can you, can you see that? Um, yeah, what this is, you won't be able to read it. Um, this is a, it's an inscription from the first century, uh, which was in the, temple of Jerus- uh, in the temple court in Jerusalem. Uh, And what it said on that piece of stone, uh, the inscription, what said, no foreigner is to enter within the balustrade and forecourt around the sacred precinct. Whoever is caught will himself be responsible for his consequent death. Um, So this was uh, part of a wall that separated the court of the Gentiles from the holier areas of the temple where the Jewish people were allowed to go. Um, Basically, it's an ancient warning sign. uh, And it's saying, if you're a Gentile, uh, keep out. I'll stop my screen sharing. Um, But I think uh, just seeing that, it shows us something of how at the time of the first century, uh, there was this very clear dividing line, you know, a very clear boundary that was to be maintained between the Jews and the Gentiles. But what we're seeing here through the book of Acts is how that boundary is being removed and how it has been removed through the work of Jesus as he dies for all people and and as he has made a way for all people to now be forgiven and reconciled to God and therefore reconciled to one another through his death for us at the cross. So because of what Jesus has done, that big sign that used to say keep out, well, that has been taken down and in its place has been laid out a welcome mat. And this is the big change that we are reading about in this section of Acts. Uh, And as we continue today in Acts chapter 11, uh, well, there's three new things happening here that I want us to see. Uh, First, I think there's a new understanding among the Jews in Jerusalem. Uh, Second, we then see a new church. Uh, A new church begins in Antioch. Uh, And then third, uh, the third new thing is to see how the gospel just keeps going to new people. Um, So if you're trying to take notes, um, three new things to see today. New understanding, a new church, and new people. Um, Now, last week, uh, what we heard about was a very significant moment Uh, where for the first time the gospel was proclaimed to Gentiles. Uh, We saw that Peter um, did that uh, by uh, going to Cornelius' house and uh, making uh, the the gospel known. Uh, And uh, we saw how as he did that, the God was gracious to those who heard. They received the gospel. uh, They received forgiveness. They received the Holy Spirit. And they were baptised, they were given fellowship into the kingdom of God. And one thing we saw last week was how this was a a new understanding for Peter. And it took a little bit of time for him to understand that, but God showed Peter in a vision 
that this was his plan for the nations, uh, that no one was to be excluded on the basis, basis of any worldly identity marker, rather that all are able to be made clean as they now come together under the name of Jesus Christ. So that was a new thing for Peter last week, and we saw him sort of grappling with that. Um, And so it's not surprising then that the next thing that Luke tells us about here in chapter 11 is what happens when word about that makes its way back to the church in Jerusalem. So let me read there again from verse 1. It says, The apostles and believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. So that's the uh, response. Um, And as you hear that, I wonder, I mean, if that criticism kind of sounds familiar, as Peter is criticized here for eating and drinking with the wrong kind of people. Uh, and what is clear here is that, you know, there's some among the Jews, these Jewish Christians, who, who do not like what Peter has been doing. But I think their criticism sounds a whole lot like the Pharisees, who were very quick to point out when Jesus did things like this in his ministry, eating and drinking with the wrong kinds of people, uh, tax collectors and sinners, even Gentiles. And so these Jews in Jerusalem, well, they want an explanation. What? Peter, what were you thinking? Uh, Don't you know that we don't mix with these kind of people? And I imagine amongst those who criticise Peter here, there's probably some who would be more extreme than others. Um, But we do know that this is not the last time that we'll hear from these people in the the New Testament. Um, In the NIV, which I have, it, it just refers to them as the circumcised believers Uh, But some translations here speak of them as the circumcision party, which sounds like a horrible party to be part of, doesn't it? It doesn't have party poppers, I don't think. Um, But this is a a group that is uh, mentioned later in in Acts and also in Galatians. And the issue always for them is is about how uh, people need to do extra things in order to be welcomed into God's kingdom. But here's the first time this issue comes up. And as you read this, I mean, don't, don't you think, wouldn't it be nice if, you know, this issue came up once and the church addressed it, um, it was kind of just clarified and that was the end of it? Uh, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? But that's uh, not really how it goes. Uh, because there are still people out there who will say, you know, you're hanging out with who? Um, I saw you with so-and-so. Hey, if you're a Christian, you know, you can't touch that. You can't eat that. Uh, you need to stay away from those kinds of people. Uh, it'd be nice, wouldn't it, if the church saw this issue and they just sorted it out and that was the end of it. But, uh, well, this was not the last time that we'll see this issue needing to be dealt with, even in this book, let alone in the history of the church. And that is because I think that, you know, the welcome mat that Jesus lays out, well, it is just so radical, isn't it? It says that everyone is welcome. All are welcome to come in. All are free to come to Jesus. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. 
He invites all people to come and find salvation and new life in him. And, and that's the radical nature of the gospel. It is grace that is a gift that is available for all people. And so this is what Peter then needs to go on and explain next. And this next section, is, it's a bit of a recap of what we heard last week. Um, Peter, uh, if you look on it, he recounts firstly the vision um, that he saw and how God showed him that the gospel was for people of all nations. Um, he then tells them how, uh, you know, the guys who Cornelius sent, how they turned up asking for him and then he went with them and he shared the gospel with them. But then if you jump to verse 15, I think this is the key part. So let me read from there, verse 15. He says, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, Who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? And isn't that a wonderful line? Who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? Um, Peter, through the vision and this experience he has, uh, well, his own understanding is changed. He clearly perceives that what is happening is the work of the Lord. And as he recounts what happens, well, he's essentially, I think, saying to this crowd of sceptics and the circumcision party, he's saying, well, who are you to stand in God's way? If God wants to invite them in, then let's not put up a barrier to stop them from being welcomed. And on this occasion, well, it's actually a great response from the church in Jerusalem. So in verse 18, it says, when they heard this, they had no further objections and they praised God saying, so then even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. So on this occasion, it's a great response. They're they're, um, persuaded here by Peter's explanation. And notice how they recognise that everything that's going on here, it's God's work. It's all of God's work. Uh, They say even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. And so we notice there that even repentance is God's free gift. He has gifted to the Gentiles the ability to turn to him. And so we're seeing here, friends, that our our salvation, it is God's gracious gift from first to last. Uh, We do nothing to deserve it. Uh, There's nothing we could do to earn it. And so this is the understanding that comes to uh, the church here in Jerusalem Um, Because it is all of grace, that means the gospel is for all. The gospel is God's free gift as he is uniting people from every nation under the lordship of his son, Jesus. So they come to that new understanding. Um, So what happens next? Well, as we continue, the gospel we see then continues to spread. And this leads to the beginning then of a new church. So if you take a look in verse 19, it says, uh, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed. um, So that's talking about the persecution we heard about um, that Saul was initially a part of. Um, That persecution, it seems, is still continuing. Um, It says these people travelled 
to as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. But then verse 20, some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Now, where it mentions there in verse 20, uh, where it mentions Greeks there, it's possible that it could mean Greek-speaking Jews, but, but I think from the context here, what Luke is telling us is that there were these guys from Cyprus and Cyrene who just started sharing the gospel with whoever they met. Uh, they didn't know yet about what Peter had been doing, uh, and they've started sharing the gospel with Gentiles anyway who have believed and turned to the Lord which is wonderful, isn't it? I mean, these people from Cyprus and Cyrene, um, they're, they're not officially commissioned by the church to do any of this. Rather, as believers, they, they, they just go in Jesus' name and wherever they go, they take the gospel with them and they speak the gospel to everyone. I think we just get the sense here that for these people who would be quite new believers themselves, it was just natural for them to speak the gospel. It just flowed from them. Uh, they carried this message that Jesus is Lord and that you can be forgiven for your sins because he died for you on the cross. And these Gentiles in Antioch, they, they believe in great numbers because the Lord's hand was with them. So verse 22, again, well, news of this reaches back to the church in Jerusalem. And again, it's a, it's a very positive response from the church in Jerusalem. This time, what they do is they send Barnabas to Antioch. And Barnabas, we've heard about a few times already in Acts. He's been introduced to us as the son of encouragement. I mean, it says there, if you look from verse 23, a bit more about him. Uh, it says, when he arrived, <clears throat> he saw and saw what the grace of God had done. He was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. And so what we see here is this, well, this new church being brought into being. And uh, there's a strong connection with the church in Jerusalem, with Barnabas being sent from them to sort of be their first pastor. But then as the church grows, uh, well, Barnabas needs help, so he goes and gets Saul to come and partner with him in that work. And just to say something um, about the location, um, Antioch was a very large city, um, it's the third largest city in the Roman Empire. It was also quite a, a prosperous place. And as this church is established here, well, you know, I, I think there's some great um, lessons that we can learn as we're just told here about this church in Antioch. Um, first, evidently, it's a, it's a church which displays the unity that Christ came to bring. And it's something that we've touched on already, but it, it's a church with both Jewish and Gentile people in it. 
You know, I think as they come together, there'd be all kinds of opportunities for disagreement, wouldn't there? Um, Just think about what might happen when there's a church lunch. Um, The Gentiles start bringing ham and bacon and all kinds of things. Um, The Jews are trying to keep things kosher. You know, there'd be plenty of opportunities for disagreements to arise about what Paul will later speak about as disputable matters. But here they are, one church, uh, united by one spirit, called to one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Um, That is the unity that this church has and which is to be expressed in in each local congregation. Um, So I think there's a a great sense of gospel unity. Um, There's also here a clear desire for growing in spiritual maturity. See this in uh, how Barnabas and and Saul, in how their ministry is received. Um, Barnabas comes and encourages them. Uh, But then there's so so much desire uh, to be growing in the faith that he needs to go and rope in Paul as well, who comes to serve alongside him for a whole year. And these two encourage the believers to remain true to the Lord and they established them in, in the faith. And as they taught the gospel from Barnabas and Saul, well, we see how the believers here at Antioch, they grow and they begin to exhibit spiritual maturity. Um, we see that, I think, at the end of this chapter in verse 27. If you look along there again, verse 27, it says, During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. And this happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. So here we see that this... um, Material and financial need arises in the church in Jerusalem. Um, There's this famine that is going to severely affect uh, the church and the believers there. But here in Antioch, which is a very prosperous city, we see how they respond to that need. They give generously to their fellow believers. Uh, It says, as each one was able, they provided help for the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. Now, we've noticed on our way through Acts so far that a fruit of the gospel is generosity, that as we realise that God is the one who has given us everything and that in him we do have everything that we need and so much more, well, as that good news begins to sink into our hearts, well, it, it frees us or frees the grip that we have on material things so that we can be generous to others. So I think there's some really wonderful things going on here in this new church in Antioch as the gospel uh, not only has saved them, but also is seeing them established and growing in their faith as followers of the Lord Jesus. So I've seen this new understanding about the gospel. Uh, We've seen a new church growing in the gospel. Uh, And the final thing to comment on here today is is a theme that we just see time and time again through Acts, Um, the idea of new people. 
uh, new people being reached with the gospel. And, you know, perhaps this is the biggest challenge for us at St Aidan's, uh, to think how are we going at reaching new people with the gospel? So one thing that stands out to me from this passage is that we're told it was here in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. Um, now notice that it, it doesn't say that they gave themselves the name Christians. Uh, rather, they were called that. And um, perhaps as a perhaps that was a, as a way of mocking them. Or perhaps just because they needed a new identification because they were clearly a group distinct from the Jews. Uh, but also they were, they were no longer pagans, and so how would people refer to them? Well, they became known as those who belonged to Christ. So I think there must have been something going on amongst these believers, something that, that just really stood out, something that was so noticeable about them that those in the city around them noticed and gave them a nickname, called them Christians. And so, I mean, just what do you think it would take for a city to look at you and give you a nickname? Uh, what, what would that mean for us here in Wagga? Uh, what kind of impact would we need to have on our city so that people noticed and gave us a name? See, what was it about this church here in Antioch that people noticed them? Well, I'm sure part of it was because of their unity in Jesus and their evident love for Jesus, uh, their generosity for the people of Jesus. But I also imagine this was a church marked by their proclamation of Jesus, that their deep desire was to see their city come to know Jesus and so they they spoke often and they spoke freely of the good news that is available to all through the work of Jesus. So what does this mean for us? Well, <clears throat> well as we finish, I, I want to maybe take a leaf out of Barnabas's book and encourage you, um, firstly, to encourage you that Jesus is at work. He is at work. He's at work among us. He has united us together as a church family. He is transforming us and growing us as his people. And I want to encourage us to keep in step with this work that Jesus is doing as we would display some of the traits of the church that we see here in Antioch. Now, maybe one of those traits that we've touched on today is more of a challenge for you. Uh, maybe you're challenged by that new understanding that Jesus lays out a welcome mat for all people to come into his kingdom. Maybe that challenges you to think of that neighbour or family member or colleague who maybe you've never thought about as someone who would be interested in, in Jesus. Maybe you're challenged here by the way that the believers in Antioch were so keen to grow in their faith and were displaying the fruit of their faith in their lives. Maybe you feel like you need to be more established in your faith and that might be something that you want to commit to, to pursue. Or maybe you're challenged here by the way that these new believers just so readily spoke the news of Jesus to people around them 
but it just bubbled up from them wherever they went and to whoever they met. I think there's great things that we can learn here from this church in Antioch uh, because the call of Jesus is that we would live as God's people. And as we do that, that we would go to the city and the people around us with the good news of the gospel so that they too can receive new life in him. Let me pray for us that our God might help us with some of those things. Um, and then we're going to have a song. Let's, let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for our time together this morning around your word. Lord, we thank you for the good news that Jesus has opened the way for all people to come and to find new life in you. And Lord, I pray that as we have received that great welcome, that we would continue to grow in our love and knowledge of you. And Lord, may we be those who who love Jesus, who live for Jesus, and who seek to tell others about Jesus as well. In all of these things we ask in his name. Amen.